Good morning, my name is Eliana. Today's reading is from the book of Daniel, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles of the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shedrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for his permission to not defile himself this way. Thanks, Eliana. Hey, Crossroads. Great to be with you this morning. I want to talk to you for a few minutes about raising the bar where you are. This story in Daniel is just full of great illustration and great examples and kind of pieces that we can grab a hold of and live into in this moment. See, I think that anytime crisis hits, anytime difficulty or chaos hits, it becomes a great time. It's a great opportunity for us to move into some of the call that God has on our life. We see here in Daniel, it starts out right away with Daniel and his friends. They go into captivity. This is what the scripture says again. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia, and put in the treasure house of his God. So Nebuchadnezzar sends his people in uh, to Judah, takes the treasures out of the the temple of God, uh, and brings them to their own temple. Um, This was a time in history that was known kind of as the War of the Gods. So unlike today where uh, we uh, not so much... Uh, think that when one nation goes against another nation, whoever wins the war, we don't necessarily identify that so much with our God won or our God lost. But back then they did. It was more about not your nation won or lost. It was more about our God is more powerful than your God. And that's one of the reasons that they would loot the temple. They would take everything, all the treasures from the temple, is so that they could really kind of not only humiliate those that they were in war with, but they could also intimidate them by that. Kind of in short, it would be like saying, uh, if your God can't even take care of his own possessions, of his own temple, how in the world would your God take care of you? And in the midst of that intimidation and humiliation, that's where Daniel and his friends are taken into captivity. Now, the first thing about raising the bar where we are that we need to pay attention to here is Daniel and his friends, and our invitation from God is to rise above the fray, rise above the chaos, rise 
above the difficulty. It doesn't mean that there isn't difficulty. It doesn't mean that there won't be chaos, but we're called to rise above the fray, to live at a different level. See, Babylon, uh, we know, is kind of a metaphor or a picture of darkness and chaos and world system. Now, in this, this is where this comes from, is this whole time in history where Babylon is ruling and doing these evil things against other nations. But we would say, for us, it's a picture of us needing to rise above the intimidation that the enemy tries to put in our own life. One of the things that I love watching in people, uh, especially as a leader, because one of the ways to identify other leaders is to see how they respond to crisis and chaos. In order to raise the bar where we are, in order to, if you are a leader, which I think everybody's a leader in one fashion or another, in order to raise the bar where we are, leaders run into crisis. They rush in. Like, this becomes an opportunity for something amazing to not only happen in my own life, but to perhaps happen in other people's lives. Think about it in your own life. In some of the most difficult moments of your life, some of the greatest benefits and things have come out on the other side. It doesn't mean you haven't suffered intense pain at times. It doesn't mean that things haven't gotten rough. But it's in this incubator, in this place of rising above the fray and the chaos, in this place of moving into the crisis, that we benefit many times. That's why we admire the people like a 9-11, that the firefighters and the emergency workers that rushed in. It's why we have this admiration for our medical workers at a different level right now, because they're rushing into crisis. So what is God asking you to move into in the midst of this crisis? The second thing we see as we go on here uh, that uh, we continue to see, it says, So then the king ordered Aspenaz, king, chief of the court of officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility, young men, without any defect, I'm sorry, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine at the king's table, and they were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. So this is what happened here. So Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, is the king at that point, right? He brings in these uh, folks from Judah, and they identify who those are that are already trained uh, at a certain level, and they're gifted. They notice the, the, the giftedness in them. They notice things about their capabilities and their abilities. And Nebuchadnezzar says, take those people, and I want you to train them in our ways for three years. And at the end of three years, they're going to come into my service. So they will go into this intense time. Now, what they recognize is there's a preparedness in these young guys, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even before they show up in Babylon. So in order to raise the bar where you are, you need to prepare for greatness. You need to be prepared for greatness. It's interesting. Do you ever feel like... Uh, 
you get frustrated because you've been trying to plan your life out and you just can't plan it out. It just doesn't seem to go the way you want it to. One of the most popular questions that Claire and I have uh, fielded over the years since we've been in ministry, and I'm sure it was a question that we might have even had early on, is what is God's plan for my life? And the thought is, is that somehow God will roll out this detailed plan all along the way and that we'll just live into it. Well, I don't know about you, but as far as it goes with me, that's just not the way it's been. I mean, I do know that God's plan is, is that I would be a kingdom living person, that I would live according to God's kingdom principles. I know that that's God's plan for my life, that I would dwell uh, with other believers and would dwell uh, in a relationship with God. I get that part of it. But I'm talking about the details. Like I remember uh, part of my plan was that I wanted to be a professional athlete at one point, or uh, at one point I wanted to be a pilot. I remember one time telling my older brother who in the world would ever want to live in this part of the state, a place like Calhoun County. Well, I guess that's me. It wasn't a part of my plan, but it is a part of my reality. How many of you would say that you are living according to the plan that you had even 10 years ago? But what we see here with Daniel is because obviously Daniel wasn't planning on being in captivity. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they weren't planning on being in captivity. That wasn't a part of the plan they had for their life. You and I weren't planning on being in a quarantine or uh, in a stay home, stay safe. We would have never imagined that just months ago. Some of us, we had New Year's resolution in January or late December, and that was a plan we set out and How many of you even lived into any of that? But what you can do, and what Daniel does, is he prepares for greatness. It's foolish in many ways to plan. I kind of chuckle. I think in the business world it might work, or in certain, I think it's good to plan, you know, to have a three-year plan, a five-year plan, a 10-year plan, whatever it might be for your business or something, know where you're going. But when it comes to your life in God, I think sometimes people look at God and say, God, this is what's happened to the plan you have for my life. And I think God just simply says, that was never my plan in the first place. You know what? I never planned on being a pastor. That was not my plan. But apparently, it was God's plan. And so it is with all of our lives. So Daniel moves into this place of preparing for greatness. And that's what the Babylonians see. See, we don't get a memo before difficulty comes in our life. But we can prepare for greatness. Preparing for greatness simply means that I will apply my life to the details of my life. I'll pay attention to the things that I'm invited to do. We train diligently. We do things that are small and we do things that are great and we do the things that are in front of us as we have capability. So what are you able to be trained in right now? What could you be in pursuit of during this time of your unique situation of being kind of locked away for this period of time? What might you be able to develop because you've got some opportunity to develop something? 
one of our friends during this time uh, who actually works in the medical profession decided because they were furloughed from work that they actually went and got their uh, worked on their real estate license during this time. It's pretty cool. Claire and I were in a meeting the other day um, of leaders from across the state. And uh, one of the leaders is a nun, and she talked about how uh, she's, she's uh, at a, a house that has nuns that are all kind of, they don't utilize the terminology retired, but um, not at a parish anymore. So they're all together, and they're isolated together. The priest is not allowed to come and perform Mass for them. So for the first time in all of their lives, they are having Mass together. And she talked about what a great, beautiful time that is for them. They weren't planning on that, they weren't prepared, but they were preparing for it. And she said the things that are being shared are powerful and profound. How about you? Maybe for you, it's the opportunity for you to do th- some things about your health that you haven't thought about before. Maybe it's about getting some extra education that you haven't had an opportunity for before. Whatever it is, each one of us are being invited to raise the bar, even in the midst of our captivity. Now, some of us are avoidant with that term. We don't like the term prepare. When I say prepare for greatness, we don't like what, like that's an ego-driven uh, thing to, to like pursue greatness. But I would push back against that in a couple of ways. The first is I would agree with you that we're not, we shouldn't be in pursuit of greatness for ego's sake, just to have your ego stroked. But I would say that the pursuit of greatness in your life, the pursuit of raising uh, the bar where you are in your life is important because you have and I have a responsibility to steward over this one and only magnificent life that we've been given that we're called to steward over it and bring a return to it, to live into it the best way that we can. See, we have this resistance in us to greatness. Uh, when we see greatness in other people, there is, uh, there is this place where if we're not careful, we can even cut it down. And more and more, I think in our culture and around the world, we see that when greatness begins to rise to the top, our tendency is to try to, like Joseph's brothers, cut down the greatness, kind of throw them in the hole in the ground, instead of just cheering on what God's doing in a person's life. So you and I can prepare for greatness. We also see in Daniel and his friends this, this next thing. It says, among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Mishael and Azariah, the chief officials gave them new names. To Daniel, the new name was Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved to not defile himself. And then it goes on. Wouldn't defile himself with the things the king was offering for him to have and do. To raise the bar where you are and to raise the bar where I am, We not only need to know who we are, but we need to know whose we are. Daniel and his friends understand who they are. Daniel makes a commitment not to defile himself. He makes that commitment because it's not only about knowing who he is, but he also knows whose he is. 
And it's from that posture that Daniel stands strong. Isn't it interesting that Nebuchadnezzar tries to put pagan names on them, wouldn't let them keep the names that they have. How about you? Do you have people that have tried to name you? Even in this season, tried to label you with things, uh, names and labels that would bring discouragement and defeat, bring fear, trepidation in your life? Or are you remembering who you are, that God created you in an amazing, brilliant way? God has uh, greatness that he has instilled in you and wants to draw that out in little ways and in maybe some larger ways. And then how about you? See, Daniel remembers whose he is in spite of the fact that the treasures of the temple of his God had been taken into captivity. Daniel wasn't driven by that. Daniel understood that God was still God in spite of the present circumstance. He knew whose he was, and he continued to pray and continued to pursue and said, I will not back down and defile myself in the midst of this. He wouldn't bow to the world system. He wouldn't bow to the names that uh, they were trying to put on. It's interesting because his name really never, it never gets any traction. I mean, we hear about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but when it comes to Daniel, he's a leader among leaders here. And the name Belshazzar really never takes any hold throughout this whole story. And Daniel, it's really the only place that you see it happen. It's the only place that you see him labeled that way. Which goes to this last piece. If we want to raise the bar where we are, we have to set a standard. Daniel and his friends set a standard. This is beautiful. Down in verse 17, Eliana didn't get to this, but let me read it for you. So for these four men, four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. See, because God will bring increase as you give what you can give. God can bring supernatural and profound increase to that. And at the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, remember that's three years, the chief officials presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now you'll notice that they've all four gone back to their names, their original names in the story, because they have applied themselves and shown themselves to be people raising a standard. Now listen, the king talked to them. He found none equal to them. So they entered the king's service, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them to be ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. If you and I want to raise the bar where we are, where I am is... Where I am a lot uh, right now. This is the lo- part of the library in our house. And wanted to do this time with you just talking about I, we're trying to raise the bar where we are. You're trying to raise the bar where you are. What we have to do is set the standard. Stop accepting. I love this. Stop accepting the world standards. Daniel and his friends refuse to accept the king's standards. They live a different way. 
They don't resist what they need to do out of a out of a act of obedience. They continue to be trained and they learn things and they study things, but they move to this level of resisting the things of the world, as it says earlier, to not defile themselves, and they are found ten times better. They set a standard for the rest of the world. It's interesting, it says they're ten times better, and then it says the magicians and enchanters in one version. What it's really saying is they're ten times better than the leaders that Babylon had beside them. They are ten times better. How about you in, in your own life? How about your relationship with Jesus are you, could you say that you are raising the bar? What would it look like to raise the bar on your relationship with Jesus? What would it look like to set the standard when it comes to your work and your career? How about your relationship and just who you are as a husband or a wife or a son or a daughter or a mother or a father? What does it mean to set the standard in that situation? What does it mean? Shouldn't you be 10 times better, pursuing 10 times better in your career, your profession? What would it look like to be 10 times better as a farmer or as a plumber or some other skilled tradesperson? What would it mean as a business owner, business leader, to be 10 times better, to set a new standard, not by the world system? What would that look like in this moment of our lives? What does that mean for you to pursue that? To pursue this raising a bar where you are so that your life, and then the challenge for me as well, what does it look like for me to try to live into the best life that God has for me, to set new standards? See, the invitation for us in the body of Christ is not just to look like the world. It's not just to look like everyone else. It's to be the kind of people that are setting standards raising the bar with what God has given us in our uniqueness, in our giftings, in our calling, even as a local church, what does it look like for Crossroads Church to be 10 times better, to be able to be looked at and say, you know what, that church is being remarkable. That's the invitation for us to set the standard. So as we go into Jess, just leading us in another song of worship, I want to pray for you. And then when Jess is done, I want to come back and just speak a blessing over you and me and all within my voice. But as you go into worship, I want you to think about what does it mean, God? What are you calling me? In what way are you calling me to raise the bar where I am in the midst of this, to not waste this tremendous opportunity of life in the midst of this difficult season for all of us? So, God, we pray for that. As we go into worship again, we pray that you would uh, just open up our eyes and our heart to small things and great things that we can be in pursuit of during this season, shifts that we can make in order to set a new standard in our own lives and in the lives of those around us. Guys, I am so excited to see what God has in store uh, for each one of us. So again, as Jess sings and as we join her in worship, let's just allow the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts and our minds and our imaginations with what can be, with the possibilities of each one of our lives and what God might be inviting us to. 
Nothing can take our hallelujah. I was so clear in Daniel's life, in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's life, not bowing to the world system, but bowing to the desire of God for their life. So I bless you, friends, on this day. I bless you in your pursuit of raising the bar where you are. I bless you and all you're putting your hand to, your minds to, your, your heart to, your body, in your prayers and your contemplations. I bless that and I pray increase on it. And I pray that you would set the standard that God has invited you to set for your own life. And we invite and, and pray the blessing of the Holy Spirit's activity in each one of our lives. So on this day and into this week, may God be with you. May the generations to come after you reap the benefits of your raising the bar of excellence and the standards that God has called for in your life and mine. Love you guys. Have a great week. Don't forget uh, prayer Monday through Friday at noon if you're available on Facebook Live. We'd love to have you join us. God bless you guys.